MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, August 12th, 2021. Today, the Mike Lindell Cyber Symposium may have hit a snag or two. The Senate has passed the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill. Rosen tells the Senate Judiciary Committee that Trump asked the Department of Justice for a legal strategy to overturn the election, as the same committee takes a three-hour testimony from former U.S. Attorney B.J. Pack. Weisselberg may have lied to federal prosecutors in the Cohen case. California requires all school staff to be vaccinated or tested. And more local leaders defy the Texas mask ban. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, I know we have kind of a little bit of a connection issue going on because you're in New York and we're doing this via Zoom. But welcome to The Beans. How are you? Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And for all of The Beans listeners, I know that there's a little bit of variation in sound. You all have been so patient. Uh, This is the last day we should have this. AG, thank you for being patient. For those of you that don't know what happened, I rerouted from my trip in Europe. And instead of going to Los Angeles and having my recording equipment, I went to recover in New York. And so the team has been incredible editing these to make them as pleasurable to your ears as possible. So thank you to the team. And Angie, thanks for your patience. Yeah, no worries. Hey, I mean, flying to LA and then immediately flying back to New York would be silly. Yeah, I'm a masochist, but I'm not that much of a masochist. <laughs> nice. Uh, today, we have a really kind of pretty amazing show. I, I spent about 35 minutes talking to Colonel Vinman about his new book, Here Right Matters. And he thinks what I think, Dana, that the Zelensky call, the downplaying of COVID, the big lie, the insurrection and the attempted weaponization of the Department of Justice by the former guy are all connected. So you'll get to hear that discussion. Mm. And uh, I'm going to be in L.A. starting tonight and I'm going to be having a meetup Thursday night with any patrons who want to come out and have a cocktail. It's late. It's going to be at 930 p.m. It's after a film premiere I'm going to. uh, And we're going to send the location details to the patrons. And we'll also post the location details on the Patreon page. So have so much fun. I'm so sorry. I'm out of town for the movie premiere and this meet and greet. We'll have to do another one. We will. And I'm pretty close by. We can make it happen. For sure. All right. Now, aside from that, it's been a really, really busy news day, busier than normal. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today is all about the Attempted coup from the former guy. This is coming from Betsy Woodruff Swan at Politico. She says Donald Trump asked the country's top legal official in late December about a conspiratorial draft complaint. This is Rosen about this draft complaint aimed at overturning the 2020 election, according to previously unreported accounts of Trump's phone call with the former acting attorney general. That's Jeffrey Rosen. Rosen persuaded Trump the lawsuit wasn't a good idea. He told Senate investigators (laughs) last weekend that that's what he told Trump. And that's according to two sources familiar with his testimony. This previously unreported detail underscores how hard the Department of Justice lawyers worked to shoot down the increasingly harebrained legal strategies that reached the president's desk. Trump brought up the 54 page legal document in a phone call with Rosen in late December, weeks after losing. Trump wanted to know why wasn't the Justice Department doing more about the election? The complaint was being circulated by an outside group helmed by Kurt Olson, an attorney 
who had represented Texas in its own failed lawsuit challenging Trump's loss earlier that month, and some of the president's allies found its logic compelling. The complaint, modeled after the Texas lawsuit, would have urged the Supreme Court to declare that the Electoral College votes from six key swing states lost by Trump cannot be counted because of baseless allegations of election fraud and for the justices to order a special election for Trump to be held in those states. Rosen didn't find. So he basically had this legal document that said the Supreme <laughs> Court needs to overturn six states that he lost and have a rehold the election in the states that he lost. Oh, yes, for sure. Let's just do a revote. Yeah, just do an, just do a new election. Rosen didn't find Olson's arguments persuasive. Really? He had already been in touch with the Texas lawyer. That's according to emails previously released by the House investigators. And he challenged him to come up with some Supreme Court precedents backing up his case. But that didn't happen. So when Trump brought the complaint up on the call, the acting attorney general was ready because he'd already talked to this guy, Olson. The complaint had circulated widely enough at senior levels of government that the department's Office of Legal Counsel had reviewed it. They reviewed it and laid out legal reasons why it was a (laughs) non-starter. Rosen presented some of these arguments to the president, including arguments related to standing and original jurisdiction. And he told not not that it's fucking ridiculous, but you know, he was like, well, you yeah, might have some standing and jurisdiction problems. <laughs> and he told congressional investigators he persuaded Trump to side with him on this particular case. The Justice Department did not sign on to the complaint. And Rosen repeatedly told the president what he didn't want to hear over the course of his final weeks in office. But despite that, Trump didn't fire Rosen. And B.J. Pack, former U.S. attorney in Atlanta, told congressional investigators today on Wednesday that his abrupt resignation in January had been prompted by Justice Department officials, namely Rosen, warning BJ that the Trump was going to fire him for refusing to say that there was widespread voter fraud in Georgia. Right. And that's according to a person familiar with BJ Pack's testimony. Pack provided more than three hours of closed door testimony to the Senate Judiciary Committee. He stepped down with no notice on January 4th saying that he had done his best to be thoughtful and consistent and to provide justice for my fellow citizens in a fair, effective and efficient manner. And uh, a little breaking news right now, right in the middle of Treason Pillow Guy's symposium, his cyber symposium, a a lawyer for a QAnon conspiracy theorist named Ron Watkins told him to say, read a statement on the Zoom call that he was on to say that the, the data Mike Lindell was analyzing and was up on the screen for all to see had been stolen from the Mesa County, Colorado clerks, and they needed to stop the review immediately. The county clerk, Tina Peters, who has supported election conspiracy theories in the past, told Nine News Colorado she would not comment on the investigation based on advice from the local district attorney. (laughs) District attorney Dan Rubenstein, however, said Tuesday he never advised Peters or anyone else in her office, and his office is also conducting its own separate criminal investigation into this incident. Peters did publicly acknowledge the breach Tuesday evening when she joined MyPillow founder Mike Lindell's cyber symposium promoting Trump's false election rigging claims. Peters appeared with Lindell and Sharona Bishop, former campaign manager for Republican Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. So, Dana, it's a clusterfuck. It is. And here's a story that doesn't sound like we've completely made it up, like (laughs) the last one. The Senate passed a sweeping Democratic budget resolution as long party lines early Wednesday that would make it possible to expand Medicare, education and environmental measures largely through higher taxes on the wealthy and corporations. Yay. This is what we're to the three point five trillion blueprint to pave the way for the massive social safety net expansion, which adopted it was adopted 50 to 49 vote after more than 14 hours of debate on a myriad of amendments. 
Now, senators voted on 47 non-binding amendments, 47 during the process, adopting some sponsored by Republicans. Among them were an amendment offered by freshman Senator Tommy Tuberville, mm-hmm. Republican from Alabama, football coach, you remember him, adopted in a 99 to zero vote, actually, that would block federal funds for any jurisdictions that defund the police, which is fine because that's not what we're going for anyway. We're not trying to take away all the money from the police, at least most of us. Anyway, Mm. another by Senator Rick Scott from Florida also adopted a 99 to zero vote would ensure tax money doesn't go to groups like Hamas which the United States considers a terrorist organization. A.G., when the fuck was our tax money going to Hamas, by the way? They weren't. This was all just like people trying to corner the Democrats to to vote no on defunding the police. And Cory Booker was like, thank God, let's all walk. No, let's sashay down and all vote no on this because, you know, or vote to include this amendment because nobody wants to do that. And I'm sure that in, you know, the 2022 election cycle, I'm sure all the Republicans will acknowledge that no Democrats voted to defund the police. So, you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And on the other side of the aisle, we have an amendment from Senator Tom Carper, who's a Democrat from Delaware. He's called for a fund to address climate change. Sounds more reasonable. Because the budget measures are non-binding, lawmakers typically use them to pitch messaging proposals, which many then use in campaign ads during later election cycles, which is why every Democrat went and voted against defunding the police. Democrats said earlier this week that the legislative package they plan to write would fund programs to provide aid to families, combat climate change, and expand health care and education programs. Democrats are planning to include language that would establish universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds, making community college tuition free for two years, provide green cards to millions of immigrant workers and families, and reduce prescription drug costs. Now, Rep. Steny, is it Steny Hoyer? Mm-hmm. Is that how you say Hoyer's first name? Cindy Hoyer of Maryland, the number two Democratic leader in the House. And now I've never heard the first name. I was the last. Announced Tuesday that the chamber would return from recess August 23rd to vote on that blueprint and perhaps other measures. After the Senate adopted the resolution, Schumer set up a path for the chamber to take up voting rights legislation when the Senate returns from recess in September. Mm, Yeah, they wanted to do it that night, but I think they ran out of time. So... That's what's going on. You know, the House said they weren't going to vote on the bipartisan bill until they had the three point five trillion dollar budget reconciliation bill. And now they have it. Yeah. So we'll see. uh, We'll see how what the House does with all this. But that's cool that they're coming back from August recess early to work on this stuff. And New York federal prosecutors came to suspect the Trump organization's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, lied in testimony during their investigation of Michael Cohen three years ago. That's according to four people familiar with the prosecutor's thinking. Despite their suspicions, federal prosecutors did not pursue perjury charges against Weisselberg, but his past interactions with them could now become relevant in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office as it seeks to his cooperation in the tax fraud case brought against Weisselberg and the Trump Org last month. As that investigation proceeds, all eyes are on whether Weisselberg might flip against his longtime boss. Seems doubtful considering he lied during his first limited immunity. I'm surprised they didn't go after him for that, but As the federal prosecutors previously learned, any assistance from Weisselberg could be a mixed blessing. Weisselberg has denied wrongdoing in the tax fraud investigation and in connection with anything pertaining to the Cohen case. In 2018, federal prosecutors in the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office prosecuted Cohen for his role in the hush money scandal with Stormy Daniels. In the course of the investigation, prosecutors, as we know, gave limited immunity to Weisselberg, who was involved in the company's effort to reimburse Cohen for the hush money payments. 
a matter that has also come under scrutiny by the Manhattan DA's office. But federal prosecutors ended up questioning their decision to give Weisselberg immunity, according to people familiar with the matter. After they came to suspect Weisselberg lied in his testimony, prosecutors weighed whether to pursue perjury charges. And according to one person familiar with the matter, they also explored whether they could retract his immunity. They ended up not doing that. But they were skeptical of Weisselberg's testimony, particularly his description of how the company reimbursed Cohen and categorized it in the company's books as legal expenses. Weisselberg wasn't the only Trump organization official whose testimony prosecutors doubted, according to one of those people, but they didn't name anyone else. When prosecutors eventually charged Cohen, they noted in the charging papers that with regards to the reimbursements, quote, the company accounted for these payments as legal expenses, but the invoices Cohen submitted were not in connection with any legal services that he had provided in 2017. Now, one hurdle prosecutors have, as we know, in bringing perjury cases is proving the information was false first and that the individual knew it was false when they testified. In the spring of 2019, the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel wrote a memo casting doubt on the Manhattan federal prosecutor's application of campaign finance charges in the Cohen case. That's according to an old New York Times report and a step that was viewed by some in the Manhattan office as an effort to quash any pursuit of similar charges against anyone else involved in the episode. Trump. (laughs) Others in the office, though, didn't believe Weisselberg was vulnerable to such charges, according to one person familiar with the with the investigation. Prosecutors, as I said, ultimately decided against either stripping Weisselberg of his immunity or prosecuting him. There you have it. That case is gone going. We'll see what happens there. Now, two court rulings on Tuesday cleared the way for local leaders who oppose a ban by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas on mask mandates to at least temporarily require face coverings to help curb a rise in coronavirus cases. We covered a little bit of this yesterday. The first ruling came in Bexar County, which includes San Antonio. Masks can now be required in public schools and other public buildings there. Masks will also be required for county and city employees, said Andy Segovia, the city attorney for San Antonio. Chief executive of Bexar County, Judge Nelson W. Wolf, said that the ruling was important because many students who are too young to be vaccinated would otherwise be coming back to school with no protection. No shit. Hmm. The second ruling was delivered by a district judge in the Dallas County who said the ban prevented officials from protecting residents during an emergency. Also completely valid. In light of the decision, Clay Jenkins, the county's chief elected official, said he planned to issue an emergency order on Wednesday. Dallas and San Antonio now join Austin, Fort Worth, and Houston in instituting mask mandates in the schools. That means the state's five largest cities are defying Mr. Abbott's ban for schools while he calls to get outside fucking medical help Hmm. because they are overrunning their hospitals. I am infuriated. Yeah. In addition to that, more news. Uh, The FDA will announce that they will authorize booster shots to people who are immunocompromised within the next 48 hours. And this Friday... Their meetings plan to discuss boosters for everyone. I personally, if we need them, great. If we don't, I would like to see these extra vaccines go to countries that are not able to get them. Mm-hmm. That is just my opinion. We could go rounds on this, but if the boosters are not 100% necessary for healthy people, that's not crazy. If they are, then let's get them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we have a pretty giant stockpile of vaccines available. And I know we are sending millions and millions of doses out to other countries, which is good. I'll take a booster shot. I'll get a shot every week if you need me to get a shot every week. I don't care. 100 percent. All right. Well, we'll be right back with my in-depth interview with American Hero, if you don't mind me saying. I do not. I do not. (laughs) So Alexander Vindman to discuss his new book, 
His book is called Here, Right Matters, an American Story. It's absolutely incredible. I got an advanced copy. I've read the whole thing, and we're going to talk all about it right after this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison Gill, and today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Blue Blocks. I used to get the worst headaches and such tired, sore eyes after working on computer screens and phone screens and TV screens all day because, you know, I watch the new, I consume the news all day, so I'm always on screens. But recently I found the solution to my computer problems, and um, that's with Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks has these amazing glasses specifically designed to help with a variety of problems. Uh, I use the blue light computer glasses. They have clear lenses, and uh, they help with headaches and sore eyes, digital eye strain, watery eyes, and fatigue. I just wear them during the day when working with screens or under artificial light. So if you're in an office with those fluorescent lights, this really helps too. They've helped me immensely with my digital eye strain and headaches. I really recommend them. They also have other glasses with lenses designed to help with migraines, stress, anxiety, and low mood, and others for poor sleep, fatigue, low energy, and jet lag. Blue Blocks' stylish frames have been featured in Vogue and GQ, so they look great, and their science-backed technology is tested to ensure they actually work. With glasses for every need, Blue Blocks glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. They also have low blue light bulbs, which are red light therapy devices, and they have these awesome like 100% blackout sleep masks that are just incredible, all backed by science. Love it. Blue Block ships worldwide in rapid time, and they always have easy returns and exchanges. So go to blueblocks.com slash dailybeans and use coupon code dailybeans, all one word, to save 15%. That's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash dailybeans, and use coupon code dailybeans to save 15%. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, we welcome the author of the new book, Here, Right Matters, an American Story, a key witness in the first impeachment proceeding against the former guy. Please welcome Colonel Alexander Venman. Sir, it's an honor to speak with you and thank you for your service. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you. I know many of our listeners and many millions of Americans consider you a hero in this story. And We've all gotten very familiar with the Here Right Matters hashtag. That was just a bombshell of a moment. So uh, we appreciate your time. Now, I've read the book through, and I have to say it's extremely riveting. You begin with the call, right? You, you delineate your life into two phases, pre-call and post-call. And you describe the call in detail and how you learned that day what the shadow diplomacy effort was all about, right? What Rudy, Sundland, and Mulvaney had been up to. And after the call... You sought out your brother and made a prolific declaration to him. Can you tell us wh- why you spoke to your brother and what you told him? Sure. Yeah, I guess first I, m- I might mention that, uh, you know, the, it's not like the whole thing, the whole kind of uh, nefarious enterprise was revealed in that moment. It had been unfolding for months, you know, with Giuliani and his pronouncements uh, just weeks before I made my first kind of deep concerns uh, heard when I reported uh, Gordon Sondland's, you know, declaration that there should be uh, quid pro quo an investigation in exchange for uh, a White House meeting. And he based, he attested to the fact that Mick Mulvaney was driving him. Really, the biggest revelation was that it went all the way straight to the top and that the president himself was responsible. And um, if up until that point, I uh, my awe and reverence for the office of the president of the United States uh, kind of counseled that, that I shouldn't like, you know, trip, hang this around the president. Uh, after that moment, it was impossible to do so. It was clear that the president was involved. And, you know, uh, as a military officer, it's a, it's a, it's a tough kind of uh, pill to swallow that the president is uh, trying to, to harm the, this, the interest of the United States and undo the democracy, uh, undo our democracy, um, you know, tilt the scales and, and undermine free and fair elections. That, that's the, that was the big revelation for me. 
not that all this stuff was kind of already simmering. In, in part, that's why I hate referring to him. You referred to him as the other guy or the last guy or something like that. I hate to refer to him as, as the president because he did such a dishonor to that office. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you uh, wanted me to answer the question about my twin brother, uh, who is the senior ethics official on the National Security Council. Uh, twins, we were the NSC twins. Uh, it was frankly the only the first time and maybe the last time we will serve in the same place together or certainly in uniform. Uh, it was a unique opportunity. And I wanted to uh, pull him into this uh, wise or not, because I wanted to kind of another, both another set of eyes and another set of ears to, to, to witness what the, uh, my report to John Eisenberg, who I didn't have every confidence in uh, that he would do the right thing, but I'd, I kind of hoped there uh, uh, and walked in with the intention of getting him to counsel the president that what he was doing was awful and probably unlawful. And I walked into Eugene's office. I closed the door, gave him a dramatic pause, you know, didn't kind of like start ribbing him like I, I would usually do. I uh, made sure I had his undivided attention. And I told him, if what I'm about to tell you ever becomes public, the president will be impeached. And that was just, um, that just kind of captured the severity of, of what I had witnessed rather than, uh, you know, prophetic that it was going to happen that way because it was still in classified channels. I had, uh, you know, I had no idea that this was going to become public. I thought that people, the officials I would report to would, would, would sometimes somehow kind of roll back this, um, transgression, this travesty. And, um, that, that was my, you know, that was my intention, but I did not miss in any way the import of the moment, um, with those comments clearly. Uh, And, uh, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. And I, I assume it, it's it's hard to convey the seriousness of what you witnessed to the public because we had been taking a fire hose of scandal from this White House from day one. Uh, and even now, as, as certain revelations are coming out about um, the former guy and the, and, and the Department of Justice, it's kind of hard to talk about the seriousness and the the, the depth of corruption that that was there. And I think that that's kind of by design. I think that was sort of by design, like, like, like drown everything out with just this litany of scandal. Well, that's, I think that's exactly right. Frankly, um, there's an, in you that are kind of sets in with you know, ever increasing scandals. You, you would think that, you know, there was um, whatever that reporting was right around the time of the election would be kind of like a, would, would separate him from uh, his constituency when, when he was, you know, uh, when he was pretty, vulgar uh, about how, how he treats women, but that didn't seem to, that, that eroded kind of this idea that, you know, there, there are morals and ethics and that continued to progress throughout the entirety of the, um, of his tenure where the bar was set increasingly lower and expectations were set increasingly lower. So, you know, the scandals that you would have thought early on would kind of bring down a presidency didn't. Uh, and there is no there is no bottom. There is no floor uh, to how far, you know, he's he was willing to go, uh, the kind of damage he was willing to do to to the country. The good thing is that in a lot of ways, he was his own worst enemy um, and he was just not that competent. And um, if we ha- if he was, you know, if he was a true like, he, you know, he's, even if we even if we hang around his head, the fact that he's a villain, if he was like a criminal mastermind or, you know, kind of a mastermind villain, we'd be in a, a, in a, in a much worse situation. But oftentimes as much as kind of 
being disruptive to the good order and function of government, uh, he was also uh, destructive to himself, which is frankly, in a lot of ways, his background and his, his legacy is that, you know, everything he, he touches kind of, as Rick, Rick Wilson says, everything he touches dies. Uh, that, it was the same with his business interests, everything along the way. So, yeah. <laughs> ETTD, right. Hashtag, another, another good hashtag. You actually mentioned later in the book, but you, you, you addressed the competency, lack of competency and lack of honesty, professionalism, et cetera. If memory serves there in, in one of the later chapters. And, and this is when you were about to, to go into the National Security Council. And uh, you say you were warned. You knew it was going to be a challenge, but uh, you were also warned. Talk about that. Who warned you? you no, know, it's um, I had a decade, a couple of decades of uh, public service under my belt and had been fortunate enough to kind of achieve uh, through hard work and kind of through a proven track record, uh, ever increasing positions of uh, responsibility and in, importance. And I, in, in a way, thought that I could continue to tri- uh, contribute, even though, uh, you know, this, there's no, I knew who he was even before he ran for office because I grew up in New York City. He had this kind of, you know, this, this really interesting reputation uh, as a, a, a failed businessman, as a, you know, kind of unsavory character. Uh, but I thought that I could still kind of, you know, offer counsel. I don't know if that was that was uh, um, pride or ego or hubris. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I, in this regard, I was not entirely successful, although the things that the president wasn't focused on directly, I was able to have a very positive influence on. And that's the legacy of, uh, of a whole cohort of public servants that were able to serve very honorably and continue to keep this country on course and you know impl- implement a national security strategy as long as the president wasn't involved it's when the president became involved in these affairs that he wanted us to work on that things got derailed but i went into the position largely with eyes wide open uh and that's because when fiona hill uh, asked me to join the team i still had about eight months uh, of time that i had to finish up with at the pentagon before moving uh, before i was released to go on to the white house and in that time, before I took the, the, the interview and after that, I, I did some uh, due diligence. I talked to, to military folks that were there and uh, they, I received the warning that, you know, there is nothing as perilous as this White House. It's a viper's den. People that deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times like this is this is a more dangerous environment in a lot of ways. Uh, so I went in there. Um, again, you know, some of my experience counseled that it's a it's a environment that could successfully navigate three years in moscow was about as far from a picnic as you could imagine it's it's a fishbowl it's it's a truly beleaguered environment for a, an american diplomat let alone uh, an, a military attache to serve in where you're constantly under scrutiny they're constantly trying to uh, trip you up your uh, surveillance uh looking to kind of you know um did uh, public protests against you whenever you're traveling, all sorts of crazy stuff. So I was in a lot of ways prepared for, for that environment. And uh, at the same time, not quite prepared for everything, but I had all the appropriate warning that I needed uh, to, to at least be armed, to be cautious. But on the other hand, I also had kind of an, um, an idealistic notion that, um, you know, I could still do some good and that's why I went there. That's what that that's the that's what I uh, that was that is what I had in my mind uh, when I went to the National Security Council. 
Yeah, you talk about that uh, quite a bit in the book and, you know, dedicated civil servants trying to, to, you know, ride it out and and perhaps do some good in those positions. I myself worked worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs for a very long time prior to the former guy being uh, elected. And I'll put election, uh, I'll put elected in air quotes there. But, you know, even in that environment, down at the GS-14 level, trying to push back against privatization uh, and all that stuff in, in the Department of Veterans Affairs where I worked. But my podcast came under investigation. And, and your friend and mine, Mick Mulvaney, had, you know, had uh, announced to a group of donors, hey, we found a cool new way to get rid of uh, government employees. We just move their jobs across the country yep. and force them to quit. Yep. And you'll never guess what happened to me. <laughs> that exact yeah. same thing. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the traits you talk about with Zelensky, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. Awesome. Thanks. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and I have the most amazing recommendation for anyone who wants to make their writing easier. It's called WordTune. It's my new favorite life hack. It's a digital writing partner that's AI-based, and you can review your drafts and give you creative alternatives instantly. WordTune works with my browser and provides options based on my original words. I just started using WordTune. It's very helpful. It's incredibly intuitive. I just highlight the sentence I want to rewrite, click the WordTune icon, and it presents me with a number of alternate options to use. I can even use options to shorten or lengthen the sentence or reword it with a more casual or more formal tone as needed. WordTune, as I said, is the first AI-driven online writing tool that actually understands meaning. The app understands the intent of what you're trying to say, and it offers suggestions on how to make your writing more compelling, authentic, and clear. It's ideal for professional writers looking for an edge, managers aiming to make their point perfectly, or anyone whose writing could use an occasional tune-up. WordTune works anywhere that you're working online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, and more. Listeners can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. If you're away from your computer, go to wordtune.com slash dailybeans on your mobile phone, enter your email, and we'll send you a link to make it easy to get started. Get help writing emails, reports, presentations, resumes, blogs, anything today. Go to wordtune, W-O-R-D-T-U-N-E dot com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with Colonel Vindman, author of uh, Here, Right Matters. I always get that Right Matters here, Here, Right Matters mixed up for some reason. <laughs> Probably one of the most famous. I think it works both ways. It works both ways. One of the most fa- yeah, it, it, it does. It truly does. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you mentioned a, a few times in earlier chapters, Zelensky's experience as a comedian. And as a, as a comedian myself, I was struck by that. You said Zelensky's experience helped him in dealing with the former president. How did how did you find that skill set applied? Because it was really an interesting observation. Yeah, he's he's a very funny man. But, I, you know, you hit on something kind of uh, implicitly about the book, which is it's not a Trump book. I mean, I, I talk there's a there's an opening chapter to kind of set the dramatic stage. But really, in a lot of ways, the president is a kind of a foil, a kind of like, you know, the the uh, the pivot point, kind of the buffoon, the buffoon pivot point. I have no, I, you know, there should be a sense I don't hold back against this guy that is really an an enemy of this country. Uh, But that's what he is. And it's a story really about how to do the right thing under the most adverse circumstances and the, the, you know, the deep portion of my background that contributed to navigating this difficult affair. affair. Um, And in a way, you know, this, this, this question about Zelensky hits on, on some of this because it's because of my experience in, you know, either as an immigrant from that part of the world, from Ukraine, learning Russian and being a fluent Russian speaker, and then being trained as a Ukrainian linguist in the Defense Language Institute, 
which is something that, you know, the House Republicans kind of missed when they questioned me, that the only reason I spoke Ukrainian is, you know, it, it wasn't my the language I learned at home. It was Russian. It was Ukrainian. It was because of the Defense Language Institute. Anyway, I, I had a chance to uh, watch uh, Zelensky, whose programs were in Russian, by the way. And as part of my homework on the on the guy, as he was still campaigning, before it was clear that he was going to be the front runner, and I I made the judgment that he was going to be, in fact, be probably the the lead candidate. At one point, it was between him and you know Ukraine's most famous rock star, that you know the the rock star backed out. And Zelensky played a character on this show called Servant of the People, where he he stumbled into being a president and then kind of his escapades about navigating, you know, uh, uh, presidency in Ukraine where there's endemic corruption and tr- trying to do the right thing. And I thought that, you know, he, he both captured the imagination, but he also had the charisma and um, and, you know, could could translate his his uh, star power and his magnetism into a successful election run. And he did. And I was in a position to kind of see this coming and, um, you know, uh, listen to his shows and kind of see how those prepared him for his uh, because a lot of things he encounters to this day are segments of shows that he he had recorded and um, be in a position to really, frankly, the the whole goal was to, bring the countries together for a common cause, which is to advance the interests of democracy, help the Ukrainians kind of uh, um, shake off a legacy of corruption uh, anti, uh, through um, a vigorous anti-corruption campaign reforms, and all of this in mind for the benefit of the United States, which has enormously benefits from a Ukraine that's uh, integrated into, into Europe and not part of Russia's camp. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was just going to uh, 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 wrap up with a famous quote from uh, I, um, the National Security Advisor for Jimmy Carter, uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski, where he said, it should not be underestimated. Uh, Russia without Ukraine ceases to become an empire. Russia with Ukraine subordinated and suborned automatically becomes an empire. And we were facing enormous challenges from Russia now. Uh, imagine how much uh, uh, how they might be magnified with Russia you know, more powerful and emboldened. Yeah, very true. And and even on the call, Zelensky was able to sort of read the room, which is something that comics have a lot of familiarity with and ingratiate himself to the former uh, the former president. And I, yeah, it gives me the creeps every time I have to say president, too, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I'm I have a former service member and, and all that. And so to to see the the office sullied the way that it was is 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 hard to swallow. But I think that that's super fascinating because. You know, in many ways, just to be able to sort of get him on your side, it takes talent. But you talk you talk about everything that sets you up for this experience, because a lot of this book and I love this. A lot of this book goes into your childhood, uh, growing up and then your experience in ROTC and and um, how the Vindman being a the Vindman boys were late bloomers. But, you know, when we when we get together, it's good stuff. I think that all I really encourage everybody to buy the book so you can read this background. And and there was a, a really a heart a, like a gut punch, heart wrenching moment when you talk about the loss of, of Sarah and how that prepared you in many ways and sort of changed your your uh, point of view a little bit. Can you talk about talk about that, what happened and, and how that sort of informed you going forward? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you that uh, this is a, a, a difficult topic uh, for, for me and for my wife. And I 
I, I deflect, okay. I'm, which I'm, which is what I'm going to do here. Uh, I really try not to think about it uh, because it's probably about the lowest. I mean, it, it was the lowest moment. Uh, I've kind of never um, responded to anything quite like that. Um, it was difficult. And I tend to kind of uh, do what I guess what 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 guys do, which is which is, uh, you know, suppress and stuff like that and, and think about other things um, and try to still be supportive for, for my wife when she when when she thinks about that loss. And it's a loss of like our, our hopes and dreams for a larger family or a loss of, uh, you know, these um, our hopes and dreams for, for Sarah, which we only got a chance to know for a week. Uh, she followed, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, we, we, I take some solace in the fact that things unfolded the way they did. And we ended up with Eleanor, our, our 10 year old, and she's just, she's an absolute miracle lover. This is the center of, uh, our universe. My, my wife says that like, you know, uh, she's got me wrapped around her finger. Probably that's true. Um, and things unfolded the way they did. And we ended up with Alan, Eleanor, but that doesn't really entirely soften the, the, the blow of uh, it's just kind of a way to rationalize that loss. But one of the biggest takeaways is that it really puts things in perspective. What really matters, you know, that mattered. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, serving in combat and people uh, died uh, in defense of this country that mattered. Um, you know, the relationships that I, uh, I had developed and, and the, uh, uh, the family support around me, the people face to face that provided support and encouragement through this versus the idiotic, you know, public attacks. And, the, you know, I, I took the president's attacks in a lot of ways as a badge of honor, him and, and, and the, uh, you know, Laura Ingrams of the world. I took that as a badge of honor because these are people I have zero respect for and I'm being attacked by them. But at the same time, le- feeling the love from from my family and from Americans at some point when, you know, that there was a means to access me through my, my synagogue and so forth. And I received thousands of letters of support. It's really, really puts things in perspective. And that's one of the things I think I've been very fortunate to have perspective about life, perspective about what matters, perspective about this country in a lot of ways, which is a unique, amazing, wonderful place. Uh, I did this uh, this interview uh, with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger yesterday, and just to hear like it was me, him, and Bianca Goldberg, a, a CNN uh, senior uh, political correspondent, and we we're all we were all immigrants, just talking about the wonderful kind of uh, perspective on America and and how, in spite of all of our challenges, this is you know a unique a, a place that still is growing and developing and, and striving towards this more perfect union, but it, it's the best country in the world, uh, and I, that's. I benefit from having um, perspective and overcoming challenges and having successes, the, the combination of everything that weighed in on, on the way I manage this, um, you know, my role in the impeachment, frankly. Yeah, true. And, and the foil of the book, as you say, the former guy doesn't have, he completely lacks that kind of perspective and understanding. He, he can't understand somebody who would do something for someone else or, or for a cause bigger than themselves. Which led to his disparaging war dead and veterans, as we know from that famous August article that came out last year, which really knocked me upside the head. I'm sure it did sure. you as well. But but also, again, unsurprising, shocking and unsurprising seems to be the theme. Yeah. 
I think that's right. Um, you know, Jeffrey Goldberg, a friend of my friend, uh, the editor in chief of the Atlantic wrote that piece. And then he was, you know, savagely attacked by the right. Uh, not all that dissimilar than, you know, to, to my own predicament, where in my case, the White House actually sent out attack talking points, but in the most kind of ham handed manner. Uh, they sent it out not just to the Fox News's and OANNs. They sent it out like to 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 not partisan networks, and uh, then it made ended up being be, becoming a story because White House sends out attack talking points on an NSC staffer or a White House staffer. Um, but this so the 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 kind of methodology of demonizing character assassination, you know. Uh, Taking issue with process to distract from the the, the massive wrongdoing uh, by the president and his kind of proxies is is a standard playbook, um, and the same thing that you find in the in the authoritarian world. Uh, same kind of methodologies, same kind of demonization of the truth and undermining of of you know of the fact that there are in fact like absolute facts, indisputable facts. Uh, this is all kind of out of the uh, uh, the um, fascist authoritarian playbook. Uh, but this the, the commentary on service members, um, you know, I wasn't there at this me- at this particular meeting, but it does it, it strikes a chord with me because there's little doubt that th- this was said. And you know, Jeffrey Goldberg's reporting is 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 very sound that the president would call people that that serve somebody other than themselves than themselves, you know, selfless servants suckers and losers, because he doesn't understand that. If there is not a transactional uh, kind of benefit for him, uh, then it's not something he's even, it's not something, it's not even that it's something he doesn't understand. Um, I'm sorry, it's not that he, he doesn't want to do it or that he doesn't see a benefit. He just simply doesn't understand the very basic notion of serving something other than yourself and 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 uh, that kind of mercenary approach. Yeah, and I think that's um, something that uh, he was passed down to him from his father. And to, to their to their unfortunately to their children also. Yeah, and that's a obviously really weird, strained relationships and and just purely transactional, like you said. And I want to ask before I let you go here, uh, just a couple more questions. One of the big uh, stories that I don't think got enough attention was your your being uninvited to on that Ukraine trip. And I I, I wanted you have we learned anything else about that or anything else new that you can talk about with regards to that particular slight. Yeah, well, I don't know enough about it. And, I, you know, uh, one of the regrets in my in my testimony is when uh, Representative Sewell, I think, from Alabama asked a question and she said, are you, are you being uh, are you the target of kind of uh, reprisals and retaliation? And at the time, thinking about my career and how to kind of save it, I said no. And in fact, I already knew that I was, you know, uh, that uh, that was wishful thinking on my part, frankly, if anything. Uh, because I already had been the, the target of, of, of retaliation. Um, I'd been, you know, ostracized by the political class at, at the White House. Uh, there was a trip that the, that Ambassador Bolton had taken uh, to three of my countries in my portfolio that I would, I, I, you know, I, I, the reason that directors travel is to maximize the benefits, to provide kind of on, on the ground support, to, to, under, to add context to whatever the discussions are to all sorts of different reasons that directors on the National Security Council travel with the principal. And to, to be clear, it's not a very large, a thick layer. You have the National Security Advisor, you have the senior directors, and then you have the directors that lead portfolios. They're the ones that actually are the workhorses that make stuff happen. They convene the deputy assistant secretaries to 
to kind of um, to synchronize U.S. policy and so forth. And uh, you know, I, I, I quickly figured out that uh, that it was as a result of my uh, expressing concerns about this phone call, and uh, I ended up being uh, also disinvited to meetings and other things of that nature. But that was uh, maybe in certain ways uh, working up. The reason I stuck around another several months, uh, if, they, if these things started to unfold in August, I didn't leave until February, is one, is I wasn't going to be kind of bullied out of there. And two, uh, I could still work very effectively with my professional counterparts out of departments and agencies, even, and still kind of work through, uh, in, in a way, uh, through even seniors uh, up until John Bolton left and it became more difficult. But anyway, I, I, I could still do my job in, in part um, and that's really why I stuck around. Yeah. And I, I think the story at the time was that the former guy actually thought someone else was the expert and nobody wanted to embarrass him. Was that was that an excuse or do you think that was a real thing? No, I think that's that's the real thing. There's a guy named Cash Patel yeah. that, um, you know, was a De- De- Devin Nunez accolade kind of inserted into the National Security uh, Council uh, by by kind of direction of uh, the president and the president's. Um, offices, the staff secretary, and, uh, you know, then was kind of a direct pipeline from what was going on uh, by the professional staff to the political class. And this is an individual that, you know, maneuvered himself uh, into increasingly senior positions, ultimately as uh, chief of staff to the Department of Defense by by serving in uh, in these kind of like, I don't know, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, you know, certainly a kind of a... Um, by by doing political bidding was elevated. Yeah, he's definitely there uh, leading up to the leading up to the insurrection uh, in the Pentagon there. So then I, I, I'm I'm hoping the one six commission and perhaps at some point the Department of Justice can can look into that yeah. and get get to the bottom of it. Finally, I want to ask you, we recently learned a former guy had a phone call with the former acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen. And we talked about this a little bit at the top of the interview. And this is where he asked him to announce corruption in the 2020 election, much like the call with the Zelensky, where he said, you don't even really have to investigate, just say you're investigating Biden. And I, I see so many parallels between the call with Rosen that we got the notes from, from the Department of Justice uh, handed to the Senate and the call with Zelensky. Given given your seat at the table during the Zelensky call, what were your thoughts when the news broke on, on the Rosen call? I think the attorneys and the prosecutors would call this a continuing enterprise, uh, maybe a continuing criminal enterprise, I think is a more appropriate. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, in a lot of ways, the president was encouraged to continue on this enterprise because of a lack of accountability. He was he was not censured. He was not rebuked. There was no, really kind of minimal reaction from a Senate that swore an oath to uphold and def- uh, uh, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, uphold kind of the the basic principles and ethics and values of of uh, good governance, and they abrogated that responsibility. And I think in, that encouraged the president to act with impunity going into uh, the COVID pandemic. And there's little doubt that, if, for instance, if the president was removed, that Mike Pence would have handled it much better. Because you, he was a, a, a kind of a, a more in the ilk of a of a um, standard chief executive, and he wouldn't have downplayed COVID, COVID, and we would not have had six hundred thousand dead. And that's something that, that's to me, it's a, uh, that connection is as clear clear as day. 
And then the economic mismanagement by trying to downplay COVID when it could be dealt, could have been dealt with a swear, a, a severely and mercilessly to take to, to handle this uh, pandemic and into a, uh, a inflaming protest in the summer and, uh, you know, seeking to kind of inflame a base that that uh, was concerned about losing their position in American society and, uh, you know, the 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 uh, black and brown and the minority populations kind of having had enough and um, being the being victimized, uh, standing their ground the president seeking to inflame that instead of kind of add ointment and and uh, and provide uh, sucker to the kind of to the to the to these um, hardships. And then going into stealing the election himself, because the that's who's trying to steal the election. Donald Trump attempted to, to but failed to steal uh, an election by propagating this lie that there was um, all sorts of election interference and, and election wrongdoing, which didn't exist by all accounts uh, and was was uh, proven to be to to be false and hollow. And then launching an insurrection, you know, violent insurrection to retain power. So. To me, that is a you know absolutely clear logic link from from the beginning to the end. Yeah, it's all connected. I've yeah, I've been saying, you know, people are like DOJ investigate, DOJ investigate, arrest Trump now. That's a massive case. If we if we start all the way back, we can we can even maybe start back in 2016 with Russia. Mm-hmm. But uh, clearly, that line between the Zelensky call, COVID, and the insurrection and the big lie, it, it, it's a it's just a bright shining line to me as well. And so I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And again, send send some love over to NatSec hobbyist Rachel, who's just a, if, if, if you're not, I'm pretty sure every single like 100 percent of the listenership of this show is already following her on Twitter. But if you're not, you can you should create a Twitter account just for the purpose of following both you and Rachel. And I, I really do appreciate your time today. It's been a, a, truly an honor to speak with you. I consider you a hero. And uh, everybody here, Write Matters is available now. You can grab it wherever you get books. And uh, it's a wonderful read. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp that provides professional online therapy. BetterHelp counselors can help you overcome any obstacles preventing you from living a full, happy life. They can assess your needs and assign you to an experienced licensed therapist within 24 hours so you can begin communicating almost immediately. My experience with PTS and anxiety taught me to seek out help instead of trying to cope with it alone. And BetterHelp was perfect for me. It's hard to ask for help, but they make it so easy. It's convenient, right? You can log in from anywhere in the world, anytime, and message your counselor. You receive timely and thoughtful responses, and you can arrange, uh, you know, phone meetings or video calls every week if you want to. BetterHelp is more affordable than offline counseling and financial aid's available. And uh, changing counselors is easy and free, which is really important to the process. So visit BetterHelp's website and read some testimonials like this one by user HA, who says, Speaking with Cheryl feels natural. She takes her time to listen to me and suggests helpful tasks to try to help me better reach my goals. This is the most helpful therapist I have had in all my years of therapy. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced, licensed professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Yeah. 
What an awesome guy. What an incredible family. Seriously, the Vinmans. I power couple. I mean, everything he went through publicly with him trying to dishonor him. And, and coming out with such, I mean, they're just wonderful. I'm so glad that this uh, podcast has such a good relationship with both of them. They're national treasures. You have to follow them both on Twitter if you aren't already. All right. This is time for good news. If, we, if you have anything you want to send us and, you know, we've got all, you know, all the things that we're doing. You can do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And uh, I yeah, this I look forward to this every day. So again, I want to repeat good news. I'll be in L.A. Thursday night at 9.30 p.m., I know not everyone does cocaine and can be up that late, but um, uh, <laughs> I saw a tweet that was like, you have a function that begins at 8 p.m. I'm sorry, we're not all on cocaine, Brenda. Yeah. But uh, it'll be about 930 and we'll send the location out to patrons. We'll post it on the Patreon page too. the location for that in Los Angeles. It'll be in Hollywood. So I hope I see a lot of you there. And I know it's short notice. So if a lot of you can't make it, I apologize. Um, and we're also going to be setting something up in D.C. sometime between uh, probably August 29th, 30th. It's either be on the 29th or 30th, a Sunday or Monday. Uh, all right. Let's kick this off with a submission from KB, pronouns he and him. Don't mind me. I'm just a guy in the Philly airport with headphones on, loudly proclaiming to everyone else waiting for this flight. Yay. <laughs> Dana's back. <laughs> SKB. <laughs> I love the whole extended beans team, but I didn't realize how much I miss Dana until I heard her voice at the beginning of Tuesday's pod. Oh, thanks for everything you do to keep us informed and connected for pod pet tax. Oh, God, I'm attaching a picture of our daughter's bunny, Pete, Pete, with our chocolate lab <gasps> Henson. And this is a, OK. This, this is, is like a, just adorable. Just long haired bun. Pete Pete's oh. face. I know. KB, thank you, by the way. It is, you know, I, I, it's always nice to know that I missed because I think sometimes we don't, we don't necessarily know the impact we have on other people. So when that's going to be reinforced by someone, I appreciate it. So thank you. And mm. Pete Pete is adorable. I feel like there's a lot of personality in that little bunny. Mm, so cute. All right. Thank you. This next one's from Seneca pronouns he, him. Just finished the pod this morning and immediately I had a shit my kid says. <laughs> That's the new game, shit my kid says. When my son was about two, he saw a butterfly and asked what it was. When I told him, he looked at me with deep confusion and asked, butter, fly? I said that yes, it was a butterfly. And then he asked, mustard too? And I didn't have the heart to I didn't have the heart to tell him no. He's 20 now, and we still tell that story. As Pod Pet Tax, please accept this picture of my Maxlet, Lord of the Couch, Vanquisher of Squirrels, foe of mail carriers everywhere. He went nuts when he got a Puccino for his birthday. Pup a oh, a Puccino, a Puccino, of course. Oh my God, little terrier. And what's a Max? Like oh my goodness. Okay, that's adorable. Second, oh, adorable indeed. <laughs> yeah, like a little terrier chihuahua or something. They didn't say, I and mean, there's no what the oh mutt guesses. Goodness. So. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, puppuccinos are the bomb. Uh, next up from Mary, pronouns she and her. Hi, everyone. My good news for the week is that my husband and I met up with my cousin Rachel and her fiance for tapas and drinks at a wine bar near our house. It was good to see them. And nice to catch up. I haven't seen them in over a year. It just felt so good to be sitting outside on a nice day, drinking rosé, eating good food, and talking. Mary, I'm totally with you on that. That's awesome. I am as well. Now, 
let's see. I know the next one's short, but the one after that's long. So let me take the short one and you'll close us out today. Whatever you'd like. Yep. Sounds good. You got it. This next one's from Anonymous, pronouncing in him. I was clearing trees for my wife's new soap making studio. Obligatory husband plug, completely Claudia on Facebook. That's the plug. She is completely Claudia. So just so you know, I was being supervised by our Belgian Tervuren. Yeah, you got me. Belgian Tervuren. Sure. Belgian Tervuren. Her name is Safi. Full name, Sky Acres Jet Sapphire. You guys were talking about pantaloons the other day. So I had to send Tervuren pantaloons. Oh, those are those are significant fuzzy pants. Oh my goodness, look how cute. Tervuren. Yeah, I this is what another one. I'll get my dog book out here. I know. We're learning so many new breeds because I would have been like, it's a shepherd. It's a yeah, shepherd it's- collie. <laughs> it's a shepherd collie mix. <laughs> no, Dana, it's a turmerine. Okay, so sorry. Uh well, thank you for that submission. Uh, finally, we're going to end with this one. This is from Mikey, pronouns he and him. And there's a trigger warning content warning here with a mention of sexual violence. So please be aware of that before I dig into this one. Which starts out from Mikey. Hello, Beans Queens. Thank you for all you do to keep us informed, laughing and mindful of mental health. Just about every episode, I think I should write in and share blank. Usually something funny that relates to something I heard on the pod. Unfortunately, the subject that actually compelled me to write isn't funny. I'm a gay U.S. Army Reserve veteran. I served almost six years in the DADT era. At that time, I was found out to only... Don't ask, don't would, tell for those people that, yeah. Don't ask, don't help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was out only to a select few close colleagues. When I recall this time period, I can still feel the crushing fear of being in the camo closet. Oh, mm. I was a decorated soldier and serving in a battalion role, three pay grades above my actual rank. And one night after a grueling training exercise, some friends and I went to the NCO club, non-commissioned officers club, where I ended up playing pool with a soldier from another unit. Most of my friends left before we were done with our last game. When we finished, I decided to head back to my barracks. The guy I played pool with said he was heading back too. And as soon as we left the NCO club, he started making advances on me, saying, I know you're into dudes too. When I refused his advances, he started calling me I can't say it, the F slur, and trying to physically overpower me and attempting to get my clothes off. I'm pretty good with self-defense, but in this course of getting away and making a run for it, he got a solid face punch in. Oh, God. And ripped my shirt. When I got back to my barracks, a friend whom whom I had come out to asked what happened, and I told her the truth. She told me I had to report it, and I didn't want to go to my commander and appear, quote-unquote, weak. She suggested I go to a chaplain. The chaplain told me if I filed a report, I would definitely face court-martial for violating Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and for fighting. So I chose to drop the matter. My aggressor continued to harass me through the end of the joint training exercise of about two weeks. Fast forward 18 months, family day at the reserve center. Soldiers were supposed to work a half day, then family would come for the second half of the day. My boyfriend, BF, brought my son to participate in the family day, but we had planned that he would just drop off my son and leave because of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. When they arrived, I wasn't quite done with all the preparations for my part of the family day demonstration, so I asked my boyfriend to hang around until I was done. When I was finished, he was about to leave. One of the family support wives encouraged me to let him stay. He stayed, but we continued to say he was my roommate, and we barely looked at each other the whole time let alone give any clue of our actual relationship. 
The next day, my company commander, who I was friendly with but not out to, called me and said he overheard the battalion commander and the chaplain talking about me at family day. The, then he asked about the incident of my assault. Oh, my God. So the, the chaplain betrayed your trust. Yeah. Reluctantly, I shared my story with him. He gave me words of comfort and then told me that the BN commander and chaplain mentioned don't ask, don't tell. And as a friend, he recommended I go inactive as soon as possible to avoid court-martial, which I did. That was February of 2001. Christ. On September 12th, 2001, I showed up at the reserve center and told the battalion commander I wanted to return to act reserve. And that was September 12th, 2001. Uh, that's, that's the day after 9-11. I returned to the center and told the battalion commander I wanted to return to active reserve, and he stated they didn't need my kind serving in his army. It took me many years to finally deal with the assault and the treatment I received in the camo closet thanks to the failed don't ask, don't tell policy, I can finally say I'm on the other side of the pain I endured. AG, thank you for fighting for military sexual assault survivors. <clears throat> and thank you for giving all of us a forum to share our stories so we don't have to suffer in silence alone. Men, you can't be afraid to tell your sexual assault story. The secret will haunt you. Dealing with it is the only way to stop carrying it around with you. You, you okay, my friend? I mean, I'm okay. I can take it if you need to. I mean, I'm crying with you, but I can take it if you need. Yeah, can you, can you take it? Absolutely. Um, for Pod Pet Techs, I've attached a pic of Max. Space, space cube, if you ask my nephew. He weighed seven pounds and carried 70 pounds of attitude. He lived to be 10 years old, and he was actually very sweet and gentle, but he didn't want anyone outside of our family to know it. And man, that little chihuahua looks like it could tear someone's face off and probably fits in a purse. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Um, Mikey, I'm holding you as part of the community. Thank you for serving. Thank you for your service, especially during a time... And I know things are still very fucked up with our military in many ways, but for a time where it was even worse. And um, I'm so sorry you had to endure what you did. And thank you for being so brave and sharing that with the rest of our community. Yeah, it, 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 uh, um, <clears throat> I know um, it takes a lot to, um, to share your stories. Uh, but again, to just know you're not alone is priceless. Absolutely. And I'm sure I have no doubt there's someone listening to this podcast right now that feels empowered and supported by your story. So, you know, you, we save lives with our truth and our courage. I have no doubt there's someone hearing this that feels held as well. So thank you. Oh. <clears throat> I'm never speechless, but I'm speechless. People's bravery, people's bravery never ceases to amaze me. Great. And to have this story on the same day that we, you know, we were able to talk to Colonel Vindeman uh, and discuss his bravery. Um, it's just a really powerful, powerful episode today. And thank you for, again, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing. Um, and I'm, I'm uh, honored that sharing my story um, helps other people do the same. So thank you Absolutely. Again. I hope you know that. I know people reinforce that a lot, AG, but 
you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I obviously, before I came on as a, a co-host, I researched you and I'm like, gosh, she's a fucking badass, but you're also just a warrior in so many ways. And truly your vulnerability on this podcast gives other people permission to also be vulnerable. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm just, it, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be a witness of it. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I was a little bit jarred by the left turn into the pod pet tax at the end of that submission. I yeah, I was like, let me take this. There is a chihuahua that looks like it's going to tear your face off. Um, <laughs> I, it's so interesting, though, because I feel like in this last line, he lived to be 10 years old. He was actually very sweet and gentle, but he didn't want anyone outside of our family to know it. And it's just so interesting that the story is from a man that had to be in the closet and who he actually was for so long. And then we've got the story of this, this pup that's like, I'm actually going to keep my truth from people because I don't want them to think I can't take care of myself. It's an interesting juxtaposition to the story. I saw that um, pretty much immediately. Yeah. All right. Well, do, uh, any any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here today, Dana? No, I just want to wrap my arms around this whole goddamn community. <laughs> and I'm sorry <laughs> if the GD word upsets you, but it's one of those moments I do. I wish I could just reach through the radio right now, your phone, and just put my hand on a shoulder or hug you. I, you know, I have some good news and, and you know, you, you had the opportunity for the book uh, signing and I didn't cause I wasn't here for the book release for Mary. I had the opportunity to meet my dear friend last night and to hug, you know, they say, don't, don't meet your heroes. It'll ruin it. And I'm like, you know what? No, it won't. And to hug a friend that I have just grown for so much respect and love for over the last year and a half, but to really just be in a presence of my friend and not this, you know, what is basically an international hero in many ways for the book that she wrote and the truth that she told. But uh, that was my good news. I got to actually hug my friend Mary last night and share a drink and it was delightful. Not only that, Sebastian, I don't mean to brag, but Sebastian, the African gray parrot, sat on my knee. And apparently when African grays feel at ease, they lift up a leg and boy, did he. And then uh, we shared corn chips together you and the <laughs> me bird. Mary and Sebastian we had a nice dinner of corn <laughs> chips yes we did tortilla chips <laughs> oh that's amazing I'm I'm jealous you got to meet Sebastian uh I I am but yeah. uh that's absolutely wonderful that's so cool and um she's just she's a hero in so many ways she's I've, also just a fucking great human being like for those she's of you hilarious like, I know, She's really funny. She's down to earth. She's warm. She's such a warm person. And to be able to see that side of her, because, you know, she's got a public persona now and she's, you know, she's got her lovers and her haters. And so you have to keep yourself safe. But when you get to see the warm side, uh, it's just lovely. Absolutely lovely. She's a great person. She is. That's awesome. Big ups to Mary Trump. Follow her on Twitter if you're not. Do it. It's a really, really good. And follow. get her new book. Get her new book. You know, yep. it is. It's. It's not like the last one we talked about. That you know, she's a funny person, but this is. It's. It's heavy stuff, but the book is necessary. So definitely support her. Get the new book, uh, The Reckoning. It's out now. You can order it and have it have it delivered. But definitely support our friend because uh, she is telling the hard truths, and it needs to be done. Yep, 100%. Thank you for that. Thank you for that little bit of good news. And uh, everybody, until uh, tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane. 
with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.